Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. So the next couple of weeks, uh, God willing, we're going to look at specific parts of this letter that, Tim, uh, that Paul and Timothy wrote to, to the church of Philippi. Philippi. Uh, this whole letter centers around one simple thing, right? Christ, Jesus Christ, uh, the life of Christ, the gospel. That is the center focus of this letter. But it kind of breaks out into uh, how Paul finds joy while being in different circumstances because of the because of how they are imitating uh, the life of Jesus, uh, this letter is very relatable because that's exactly what the world kind of needs right now. We need joy. We need true joy. We need to find the truth, joy, the real joy, not the temporary joy that we can get from the little things that we buy here and there. We need true joy. And if you look at the world, it has become more clear in the last year that uh, no matter how much money you got, no matter how much things you own, that's not really providing any joy for those who have it. None of it is bringing any long-lasting joy to those people. Anything can easily come and, and ruin that happiness you think you have that you think you have in those things that you own, right? We, we saw COVID, right? COVID came. All of a sudden, people are devastated. People are dying, right? Whether you had a lot of money, whether you had a big house, whether you didn't have any money, people died, right? People were dying. People die every day from other circumstances, whether you have money, whether you have riches, whether you have nothing, you could have had the biggest house in the world. You still died, right? And people are realizing this, and that's causing them to, to really think about their lives. And all it took was a virus, a 98% survival rate to get people to really think and analyze what is really that joy they have in them. Is it in something permanent, or is it something that's temporary? We have been seeing over the last couple of years the desperation in people to find true joy. We've seen rate of suicide go up, and it hasn't slowed down. It's gone up because they feel that it's much less painful to be dead than it is to be alive. It is much better not to be here. So much pain, so much struggle. They're not finding that happiness. They're not finding that, that joy so What's better not to have to deal with it? Not have to deal with it. So how do you not deal with it? Not be alive. People want to identify as different genders because they can't find what they desire in who they were created as. What is it? No, I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like this is me. I don't, I'm not finding that what everybody else is finding. So I'm going to try it in, in a different uh, gender. Maybe... I'll change to be a woman and maybe I'll find that desire and I'll find that joy and happiness in being a woman even though 
I was born in men. Or vice versa. We've seen mass shootings. We've seen abortions. And we've seen all this coming from very angry and troubled people, right? We've seen gruntled, right? Those really angry people who got fired, right? They go back to the jobs, right? We saw the, uh, I believe it was FedEx or something like that, FedEx a couple of back, weeks back. They was mad because he got fired, went back and shot up everybody. And then we have those who will continue to abort because they prefer their own pleasure first than to have a kid come into the world. And believers are not exempt from that struggle to find joy. There are many believers who are struggling because there's pastors and preachers who are teaching that life must be good. You must have a good life. That's what a believer is. A Christian's life is awesome. And there's, you know, there are people who are not seeing this. People who are coming to Christ, they're not seeing their lives all of a sudden be awesome. Right? I tell, I tell anybody who, who decides to, to take part in, 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 in service in the church, whether it's worship uh, team or, or, or anything, uh, from here on, things are going to get a lot more difficult for you. And it's not because I'm going to make your life a living hell. It's because that's when things really start getting When you start to follow Christ and serve God, things get difficult. They don't get any easier. So if we have teachers who are constantly preaching, no, you're going to have you know, better jobs. You're going to be more wealthy. You're going to, you know, preaching this, you know, if you're going to be healed, if you have enough faith, but you're getting the complete opposite. It's kind of hard to, to kind of deal with that, right? If you're listening to how much good it should be, but your life is not as good as they're saying it should be, it's going to bring some doubt into your life. Believers are facing sickness, in many countries, believers are experiencing persecution because of the name of Jesus. Many are being rejected all over the world because they believe in Jesus. Churches preaching prosperity while people are being put in prison for doing what they've been called to do. This week, I believe it was this week or last week. I got the news a little bit confused, right? Pastor from Canada goes to jail because he was encouraging people to go back to church. I don't see prosperity there. I don't see a good life there, right? All he was doing it was encouraging people to do what the Bible tells us to do, which is go to church, right? And how many times within the last 14 months we saw churches getting fined and sued for gathering, right? So we see even how the believers are suffering trials and tribulation, and that makes it hard to find joy. I, I mean... We gotta be honest, right? I, I like to be honest, and and I try to be as realistic as possible, right? It is hard to find joy when you're getting put into prison for wanting to go to church. It's hard. But now we have this letter, one of Paul's letters, and this is one of Paul's most personal letter. And the reason why it's so personal is because this letter is is to the church that he helped fun, uh, uh, he funded uh, about ten years prior to this letter. You can read that in Acts. He, he established, he, he, he was the founder. He was the, the one who put this church uh, there, right? We know that God ultimately puts the church together, but he was the tool that God used to create this church. This was actually the first church that was established in Europe, in that continent that was there. You can actually see how 
This letter reflects his pastoral heart towards the church that God gave him to pastor during that time. I know it's been 10 years since he's been there, and he and you can see as he speaks, he, he has this desire to go see them and, and go be with them. Uh, but it is his church. It is the church he founded himself. It is personal because they have gone through a lot, and they've done so much already for the kingdom as the church that he found. But why did Paul write this letter to this church in Philippi? And this was actually one of those letters he didn't write because they were all struggling with this lifestyle of sin, right? If you look through it, we're going to read a lot of it. It wasn't, it wasn't never, oh, you guys are, 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 are doing really, really bad and you guys need to all repent. We're, this is not one of those letters. And yes, the church was facing challenges, but in the midst of everything, you know, the good, the bad, whatever was happening around them, God was still working in them and through them. This is letter is, is a letter of hope. It's a letter of hope and, and, and in unity with the believers. It's a letter of joy. It's not a, a, a letter that, that you know, we read and we're going to find this heart-crunching conviction. Oh, this hurts, right? This is a hopeful letter, a letter that should bring joy to us. He wrote this letter so they, they may be aware of their life in Christ and they can persevere in what it is to come. But let's look at what he's saying in this verse. Let's look at the first 11, and this is just the introduction of the letter, first 11 verses of this letter. And, and we're going to look at where does Paul, Paul's joy come from? Where exactly is he getting this joy from? Because if we want to find joy, we need to know where to get it from, right? Where, does this, where can I get this joy that Paul has? He was able to write this letter that's full of joy. And you're going to see, I, I kind of want that joy. So where can we get this joy from? But before we can see Paul's, where Paul's joy is coming from, we have to remember the condition that Paul is in. Because Paul right now is not writing this letter from the comfort of his AC electric-powered house. Okay, He's not sitting on his office full of bookshelf and with, you know, comfortable, one of those king-sized chairs, uh, right? He's not. He's actually writing this letter from some kind of prison. We don't, we're not sure if it's, you know, if it's a prison itself. Maybe he's, he's, he's being kept prisoner in his own home or something. But if you look at verse 13, he says, as a result, it has become clear through the whole place, uh, through the whole palace guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So I get the understanding that he is in some kind of prison. So if anyone is going to have a reason uh, not to be joyful, it's Paul. He's in prison. He's chained up for doing something good. See, Paul wasn't selling drugs. Paul wasn't uh, committing crimes. Paul was preaching the gospel, good news, something good, and he was suffering for it. So if anyone has a reason to not have any joy, to be sad and to be angry, it's Paul. But his hardship didn't stop Paul from finding joy from what he knows is happening in Philippi. So he knows what's going on. He knows what God is doing in Philippi, and he's finding joy and what God is doing there. The first thing in these verses that we see is that 
he finds joy in being in the same mindset as his church. He's, he's finding joy in the fact that everyone's mindset, Philippi and him, are all in the same place. If you look at verse 4, it says, All my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'll, I'll give you a little insight on how most pastors, and I hope most pastors feel, and I hope that all pastors feel this way. They're known, uh, maybe maybe they shouldn't be pastoring, but uh, there's one, there's nothing more joyful than, than when a pastor uh, is pastoring a church and he sees the church, that the church is all in the same mindset. They're all working towards the same thing. And, and we're not talking necessarily, oh, what, what are we working for, bigger building or, or nicer building or whatever. No, we're talking about having the same mindset that's gospel-driven. Having it working towards the same gospel words, towards the, towards the same calling that God has called us to do. When the whole church, when we see the church, there's nothing that brings us pastors more joy than we're all doing this together. The truth, preaching the truth of the gospel, delivering the gospel, and we're all doing it together. There's nothing more joyful than standing up here and looking at people work the gospel in people's life and be like, wow, this is amazing. There's nothing more joyful than that. And at the same time, our hearts breaks when we see the church members that are lost in things that have nothing to do for the soul, right? We, we see these people that are constantly not doing anything, and that breaks our heart at the same time, right? But our hearts scream with joy when the body of Christ is doing the work that has been called to do. Yes, we, we, we suffer heartbreaks all the time because we see people doing constant weird things. And, but we, when the church is doing what they're supposed to do, there's nothing but joy in our hearts. And that is what Paul is saying. He thinks about them often. He's, he's always thinking about this church. And every time he's thankful for them. And not only is he thankful for this church, he finds joy in this church. And he finds joy in praying for this church. And let me tell you, it's not always joy. I don't always find joy in praying for the church members. And before you say anything, I'll tell you why. There's, there's, there's so many church buildings that are full of just unconverted people who are really there just to make other converts' life a living hell, right? They're just there to cause trouble, right? And these churches are full of people that no matter how much you get up here and you preach repentance, it goes through one ear and comes out the other. So it's not always joyful to pray for these people because the prayers, our prayers are always the same. The prayers is constantly, God, change their heart. God, please change their heart. Change who they are. Start from within. And that's a constant prayer. And at some point, you kind of want to move on from that. Hey, God, let's do something else with this man. You know, let's start using him for, for good, right? So we want to kind of stop. So it, it's, it's not fun to always have to. And I'll be honest, it's not fun to always have to pray about people's heart to be changed. You know, this guy continues to not listen. He's, he's living wherever he wants to. Here goes again, the same prayer. And then Tuesday comes, the same prayer because that guy is doing the same exact thing. So it's, it's not always fun. It's not always joyful. But when things start to change, when 
when the story changes and we're praying for those who are saints and the leaders of the churches, we, we find joy because those prayers tend to be a lot different. Those prayers are more like, God, continue to use those people, continue to use those leaders, continue to use those pastors, and we find joy in that because we see the work that God is doing in them. And Paul's writing to, to those who are saints, those who are leaders, those who, who are converted, those who, who find uh, God in their life, those who, who live through Christ. He's not finding joy in the unconverted. And those who are persecuting those of the church, he's finding joy in those who have their hearts set on Christ. And that is because they, they all understand what it's all about. They all have the same mindset because they understand what the purpose is. And why can't Paul pray with joy? It's because, they're, because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's why he's finding that joy in praying for them because they've been supporting him. They've been in the same gospel-driven uh, support and, and, and work ever since the beginning. The Philippians were extremely giving towards Paul, both when he was with them and when he was apart from them, and, and he always had that support from this church. If you look at one example, I'm going to give you two examples. First, Acts 16, verses 32 to 34. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. There's always been that support, right? He did something and the church helped them, brought them in, fed them, and helped them because of what he was doing. And of course, we know that Paul wasn't doing it for that, right? But this is, we have to understand that there's people out there who are working for God who need our support, so we have to be the ones to support them because they're doing the works that we're not going to do. And then another example, you find 2 Corinthians 11, 9. It says, and when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Paul's always had the support of his church. They didn't wait to see Paul big and, oh, look, he made it. He's a big pastor. He's got a mega church. Oh, let's go with him now. They always supported him. They they got behind Paul and his ministry right early from the beginning. It is amazing to see how a church who lives together in fellowship with Christ triumph of all those difficult circumstances. Everything that Paul was going through, he expressed his joy and how happy he was that everyone had the same goal in mind, which was to spread the gospel whichever way possible. Okay, we can't limit what he was saying just to support Paul. And he was like, oh, he finds joy because, of course, people are giving him money and food and stuff like that. He's not just talking about that. He's talking about everything because there's many ways that we can support through that gospel. There's, there's 
of course, there's, you know, you actually going out and making disciples, right? You going out of your way and, and spreading the gospel yourself, or, or there's you supporting financially with food, with prayer, with whatever it is, those who are all going to spread the gospel. So there's multiple ways. So he's not just joyful because he's getting any. And we know that's not the case because he's going to talk about that later, how he was short, but yet he found joy. But he found joy because everyone was working for the gospel. Now, the most important reason that was giving and was driving that joy, the real reason why he can have joy in his church is because they all share the same grace. Look at verse 6 and 7. Being confident in this, that he, be, he who began the work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, Jesus, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in change or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. See, Paul's joy is coming from the fact that the work of God started in his church. Not only is it visible and it's in progress, it is because he's confident that the work that God is doing one day is going to come to be completed. In Luke 14, we have this parable of this man, uh, right? Jesus is telling this parable of a man who, who wants to build uh, a tower. And what he must do, he must first make sure he has money. He has to correct all the resources to build the tower. Because if he starts building the foundation and he all of a sudden realizes he has no money to finish it, he's going to look like a fool. See, God is not like that man who, finish, who doesn't finish things. He doesn't come unprepared. He doesn't know what resources he has. God knows exactly who he is. God knows exactly what he has. And whatever God starts, he's going to finish. And Paul is confident in this. And that brings him joy. And how can Paul be so confident? So let's, let's break that down. Let's see how exactly. First, we can see that God is the one that starts it. If, if it's one thing that I want to make sure we understand as a church, and, and, I've, and I talk about this all the time, and I bring it up all the time, is that in our own broken, corrupt, sinful nature, we cannot start nothing with God. We cannot start nothing with God. Sometimes we get this idea that it's up to us to start this relationship with God. We must, uh, I got to fix myself. I must gather myself. I must make sure, you know, because I want to go to God. I want to I be good with God, so I'm going to go approach God. But I, can, I need to make sure I do the right things. We think it's up to us to come to Christ. If not, nothing's going to happen. It's up to us to allow God to do what he wants to do. But here's what Paul is saying. The work that's being done in you did not start with you. It means that it did not start with an altar call or you praying a magic prayer. It doesn't start with you cleaning your act together. Or cleaning your act up or putting your life together. It doesn't start with that. 
It starts when he starts it. It has nothing to do with you. Let me tell you, because many think that God doesn't have any part in your salvation. Let me tell you that God has a part in your salvation. And his part does not depend on whether you're going to allow him or not. It doesn't depend on whether you want God or you don't want God. The work of salvation begins with God. It starts with a new birth. Then he goes to his saving grace and then righteousness. You have to be born again first. Because dead men don't believe in God. And we're all dead in our trespasses from by nature, from birth. So there's no way that we are going to believe in God first. I had someone tell me what was wrong once. He goes, no, you're wrong. I was like, really? Okay, that's good. I, I like to be told I'm wrong. And, but when you tell me I'm wrong, I'm going to ask you, okay, tell me about it. How am I wrong? I want to learn from my mistakes. The person said, no, it, it was my decision. I made the decision to come to God. He was like, really? How did that work? Tell me about it. He goes, yeah, I was in church one time. You know, uh, God broke me, and then I decided to go and, and, and accept Jesus. I go, really? So who broke you? You broke yourself or did God break you? And they're like, oh. Like, oh, yeah, I know. I was broken too before I was able to tell God, God, I want you to be my savior. I didn't break myself. I was the one doing the sin, but I did not bring myself to, rea to realize that I'm living in sin, therefore now I'm broken, and I feel that brokenness. If it's true that you were really broken, that work that started in your brokenness did not start with you. God broke you. It didn't start when, when you went to accept Christ. Oh, now I'm broken. Now I can see it. No, he broke you first. That desire you had to give your life to Christ didn't come from you. You may not have seen it or, or noticed it, but, but it came from God. He initiated. And no, I know you're not a robot. I'm not saying you're a robot. And No, you're not a robot. You are actually a piece of clay. He molded you to be able to make that decision. He, he transformed who you are for you in order for you to say, yes, God. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 8. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. And you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. At the end, you're, you're, you're the one believing. At the end of everything, you're the one believing. I'm not believing for you. You're believing yourself. But you would have never believed if it wasn't because of God. You were never going to believe. Secondly, Paul is confident because there is a certainty that whatever he started, whatever God started, he was going to finish. The work he is doing in you will continue every day and he won't be perfected till the day of Jesus Christ's return and we are resurrected in a new body. That work is going to continue, but he's going to continue and that work that he's going to continue, that he started, he's going to finish it himself. What happens is that he gradually changes us. 
you know, as time moves on, right? And we become more like Christ. He makes us, he molds us to be more like Christ. Until that one day that we're all resurrected and we all spend eternity in heaven. Everything that this church, the Philippi church was going through and are about to go through, it's part of that process. It's part of the process of being molded. And it's not a pain-free process. When a potter is going to mold something, you know, he puts pressure, he molds, he moves, and he messes up, he crushes it, starts from the beginning, right? When an Irish myth is creating a sword or a shield or, or, a, or an axe or something, right, he puts that sword through fire many times. Paul never said it was going to be easy. Paul never said you're not going to suffer through anything, through any pain. No, you're going to. What Paul is saying is that one day that work will be done. It will finish. We must remember that at the end, literally everything will be perfect. Even our own bodies because he will change our physical body to be acceptable in heaven. Because we can't walk in like this. We can't just walk into the new heavens and new earth in this body. This is not a perfect body. This is a broken body. Even that he's going to change. Everything he's going to change and make perfect. Let me tell you, you will be saved by works. It's just not your works. It's the work of God. God's work is what's saving you. And I can see why he has so much joy even though he's in prison. He's seeing his brothers and his sisters be used by God from, for the work of the kingdom. And in the process, they're being molded into the person God wants them to be. He's seeing this. He's seeing his people. He's seeing his church be molded into who God wants him to be. He's seeing the work. He's seeing God's love manifested in his people. And I can look out at all those who, who in the middle of all this chaos and, and all these things are still, you know, running that race. And, and I can be joyful because I know they're going to finish that race. And it's not because they're good. It's not because they're doing good works. It's because God's doing the good work. So I am joyful because you guys are going to finish the race, but not because of how good you are. It's because it's of how God is. Because God has never started something that he's never finished. God never said, oh, eh, change my mind, I'm done. Eh, I'm going to leave it halfway. Imagine that if he would have just been like, eh. What kind of joy are we going to find in anything when God can just change his mind and, and accidentally say, oh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Oh, I've got tired. What kind of, there's no joy in that. But the fact that whatever God starts, he's going to finish, that's a lot of joy. Because he's always going to provide the means for you to be safe. Because we're nothing in our own strength. We all depend fully on God. When I was young, I used to say that I didn't like to go to church because the pastor repeated everything all the time. Man, he's, he preached the same thing all the time. Like every Sunday was the same. It's like, why are we going? I, just, I, I heard that sermon last week. What do we got to go again? Let's just... Listen to the music. Let's just ah, then go home because he's going to preach the same thing. 
so I didn't like to go to church. I didn't like to go to church because I didn't, I didn't like repetition. And we're going to hear some repetition in the last next couple of weeks. But we need to because the world's doing the same thing. The world's telling us all the time that we should be bitter and angry and, and we should be depressed because, you know, hey, things are not going your way. You, you should be angry. You should go out and write and, and, and protest and, and do this and change, and, and, and change everything. You're, you, you deserve more. You should get more. And if you're not getting your way, you should do something about it. Even if, if you have to be angry, do it. Go ahead and, and do it. We get told that all the time. If we say, no, you know what? That's not a battle I want to fight. You're like, are you crazy? How can things change if you don't fight? Right? You get told this all the time. Be angry. Be bitter if you have to. You, you, you have reasons to. So the same way, they're constantly reminding us and telling us that we should be, we should be constantly remembering and we should be constantly be reminded of the joy that we can have even in the midst of all the troubles that we're in. We need to hear this message often and more often and, and, and constantly because instead of all that bitterness, we should have joy in God. We should have joy in the work that God is doing. And when we live our lives full of that joy, we make God look good. Because he's a reflection of his love for us. I don't, know, I don't know how to preach the gospel. How joyful are you? Because when everything is falling apart and you're usually joyful, somebody's going to be like, hey, why aren't you pissed off? It's like, I don't need to be. We should be able to be joyful because Everything that he's working, everything that he's doing, everything is going to come together for our good. And you know what? The life of the church in Philippi looks a lot like, you know, our walk with Christ, right? He brings us to, he brings uh, us to him. We live our lives according to his will, right? We, we do what God's calling us to do. Then what happens we suffer for it. We suffer for, you know, our calling. We suffer for our belief. But we also know that God will one day take it all away. And that's what it's about. That's how we know we can find joy no matter what it is that we're going through. We're going to see all the stuff that Paul is going through. And we're going to see how he just finds joy in every single one of those moments. And that's how we should be living. With that joy, enjoy in the work that God is doing in every single one of our lives. No matter if it hurts, no matter if it's easy, no matter if it's tough, no, no matter what it is, God is working, and when He starts, He's going to finish. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us again we want to thank you for listening and remember this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church so we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on catch up with holy city church